Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the B-Side Podcast for the film stage. As always and as ever, I am Dan Mecca, joined with Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how are you doing today? I am great, Dan. <laughs> I, uh, I'm actually kind of excited about this one. We, yeah. We, we've th- talked about it, doing it on some other podcasts that we've been featured on so i'm happy to have our guest here and to talk Mm. about a pretty dope director yeah so perfect b-side director as as i've said uh on most of the podcast episodes the b-side here we talk about movie stars and sometimes movie directors not the movies that made them famous kept them famous but the ones that they made in between and today we are joined by the one and only Blake Howard, he is a podcast-obsessed producer of many podcasts, all <laughs> under the One Heat Minute production banner. Uh, uh, one, heat, one Heat Minute was the, it, it, you must know this if you're listening, the amazing <laughs> podcast where he took every minute of heat and talked about it. Ended up talking to Michael Mann, Tom Sizemore, a, ma- a million amazing people. Currently, uh, Zodiac Chronicle is 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 bumping right along which we uh, me and connor were lucky enough to be contribute to and that's been amazing amazingly produced zodiac chronicle um among many other oh, things you. you talked to donald Logue, um, i did which was the greatest and um and james vanderbilt too who wrote uh that was huge who wrote uh zodiac among many others blake say hi to everybody oh thank you guys i firstly you guys were amazing and have been so versatile throwing in our awesome conversation that went for like (laughs) nearly two hours on zodiac has just like helped me uh say so many things because we kind of went across uh, so many topics thank you for all those nice things you just said about zodiac chronicle it is the most ambitiously edited thing i ever did um my we've had a great evolution. We went from heat and then in, in, in increment vice with Travis and that show had a completely different mood and had narration and had all these different things. And then I did Josie in the podcast with my dear friend, Maria Lewis. And that was our really scripted show. Like Maria is a writer first. Oh or yeah. Seven, seven, that- seven, seven books in, you know, she's a screenwriter as well. Um, yeah. So that was a really incredibly uh, edited thing because we we collaborated on it uh together it was the most ambitious thing i'd ever done and now i've kind of like gone what if i could do all the things i wanted to do in conversation form and take that hyper editorial style and turn it into something else and it is um it is both incredibly hard but it is incredibly rewarding and i'm having a blast doing it and all of the people have been on so far are so generous and i can give you a little couple tidbits to the bits little little tidbits um (laughs) Look, my favorite suspect is a guy named Arthur Lee Allen. And so sure. it would just not be right to do the show if Mr. John Carroll Lynch wasn't on. And oh, he that's will amazing. be on Zodiac Chronicle very shortly. Ooh, so that's cool. And wow. an even tittier tidbit that happens before <laughs> Mr. John Carroll Lynch comes on. Um, one Ioni Sky will be oh, on the show. Oh. So really? th- yes, yes. She lives in Sydney now. Bless her heart. Uh, with her new hubby Ben Lee. So um Wait, Ben uh, Lee the uh the singer? Ben Lee, the singer songwriter, oh. is a Sydney boy, and they live in Sydney. Ioni Sky is Am I in gonna high be school right now. This is <laughs> <Ben> gonna, <Lee? laughs> is gonna be on the show. Yes. Yeah, that's so great. Wow, so Ioni Sky, that's insane. So I was just thinking about it's so funny you just said her name. So I, quickly quickly i wanted to say you reminded me of maria so marie lewis is great obviously um 
she was also on cinephile game night right so we know yeah. her a little bit through that i listened to her podcast version of her book it came from the deep which you helped her produce right yeah yeah uh, blake that was great i never listened or read anything she had done before that and that was a very uh entertaining book story a uh, podcast series uh, of her novel so that was awesome i recommend that and then of course we're talking about alan pakula today the yeah amazing director you also did all the president's minutes, which me and Connor also were on, of course, talked about one of the best minutes, in my opinion, one of the bookkeeper minutes. And um, oh, yeah. And then you spoke with Jane Alexander at the end of that show, which was unbelievable. Um, yeah. So, yeah, amazing. A million amazing things. Um, so much to talk about. when We talk about Pakula. We've been we were like, oh, should we do a final frame episode, which is our new thing we're trying out? where we talk about a filmmaker's last movie, we decided let's talk about a few of his movies and make the the normal B-side episode. And we will talk about his final film, The Devil's Own, alongside Comes a Horseman, alongside Consenting Adults with uh, Pit Stops in the Worlds of Presumed Innocent and The Pelican Brief as well. We can't help out. We just can't help, we can't ourselves. help ourselves. The, Pel the Pelican Brief is being critically reappraised as we speak and i'm all for it like i'm just all for the critical reappraisal it's so good it's funny how you're totally right but but just to finish my loop on iona sky i had this thought where her mia sarah and uh daphne zuniga when i was growing up were all so important in my life and not in any creepy way just like growing up watching like the sure thing you know say, say anything. anything a lot of john cusick obviously um a legend with tom cruise mia sarah and obviously ferris bueller's day off those were like very important moments in my like young life as just like movie stars and like romance and whatnot. So that's amazing. And she's so great in Zodiac in her scene. Oh my God. She's, she's great. And also uncredited, which is amazing, but everyone calls it the Ioni sky scene. It was so funny. Two of my really good friends, Alexi and Cam, um, who do a podcast called total reboot in their feed, it just popped up. Ioni sky. Cause they were doing an interview about say anything. They're currently doing a screen ages series on their show and i was like how the hell did you get ioni sky and they're like wait cam's a comedian he's on their show ben lee and ioni sky do a monthly variety show in sydney at the moment um oh my uh, god which is which is a uh, half comedy half music half sort of varietal performances and so yeah like it's a it's a pretty cool thing so when you do get the second jabs and can travel we can make a night of it going to see ben oh lee and ioni sky show that's what we it. can do yeah, call I'm gonna FaceTime with Julie Mecca, my mom, just make her jealous. Um so okay, Pakula. All right. So I guess let's talk about our first experiences with Pakula. So just some brief, you know, history. And I know Blake, you know a lot about uh our dear friend Alan, of course, because uh, you've been, you know, you know him from your podcast. But basically Guy was born in 28, 1928 from New York, uh, the Bronx, and is like you said, you, you had said this on many episodes of All the Presidents Men, like the most unassuming, like in a time where, you know, Lumet and Scorsese and Spielberg and, you and know, whatever. De Palma. De, De Palma. Palma. They're like making these, <laughs> it's like auteur theory to the max, what have you. He's like this like English professor looking guy over here, just like making amazing thrillers and like totally off-brand other movies like Comes a Horseman. And he never got put on the pedestal 
as those other filmmakers. And you, I, I watched the Dick Cavett interview that I think I feel like you referenced on all the president's minutes a few times yeah. where it's like, it's like Lumet, Ivan Reitman, uh, who's like just coming off legal Eagles. Um, like, uh, Sidney Pollack, some, some poor German first time filmmaker. Who's a woman. Yeah, who made that movie Men from the late '80s, um, which is an it's an interesting, a very classic Dick Cavett thing that he would always do. I like love the Dick Cavett show. I like it's like my most most watched channel on YouTube. And if you ever go back, he would do that all the time. He'd like he'd plug in like, oh yeah, and here's this other person who like, and she's just like in all of these other filmmakers, and um, and anyway, Pakula comes across like the smartest guy in the room, and he never like raises his voice more than like he's just so calm and like just smart. And anyway, my first Pakula had to have been had to have been the Pelican Brief, right? Yeah. I I was trying to remember, but it ha- it had to be. He's an adult filmmaker in the sense of that you're not going to necessarily watch one of his movies young. Connor, do you like have any concept of? When yeah, you- I mean, I I think. Um- if I'm, I mean, just chronologically speaking, because yeah, like I didn't start watching his movies. You're not putting on presumed innocent. No, like. right. And I didn't start <laughs> watching. Like I, I think the first movie of his I really probably watched front to back was, uh, was All the President's Men, and so mm. I like, but and that was like a high school thing, right? So it wasn't really until I was in my like mid to late teens that I kind of started watching his movies. That said. I think I definitely watched The Devil's Own with my dad. So like, yes, like sure. when it came out. So that like, a that's, da- that's so, a dad movie. Yes. Heavy dad movie. So that's like yeah. probably chronologically yeah. that's my my introduction. But he, but it didn't register as a Pakula movie. Right? Oh, sure. Like, you know, it wasn't yeah. it, when I watched, you know, All the President's Men, that was a thing where it's like, who directed this? This is amazing. Right, right? Right. Like, you know, yeah. where you're paying more attention to it. But yeah, probably Devil's Own. So what about what about you, Blick? Um. I think I walked in on my my dad watching Presumed Innocent a bit Mm. because I think we had every Harrison Ford movie. So, like, we grew up as crazy Star Wars kids and obviously Indiana Jones kids. So, you've got those things in your life and Blade Runner. And I just feel like every Harrison Ford movie that was on VHS, we owned it. And, Mm. And so, Presumed Innocent was one that I wasn't necessarily allowed to watch or wasn't really motivated to watch because I had all of the Star Wars and those things. But I remember passively watching that. I came to it at university because I started getting obsessed with new Hollywood and I just had a great lecture at the time. I actually ended up being my supervisor for my honors thesis, um, a great professor called Hamish Ford. And funnily enough, Harrison Ford, Hamish Ford. Mm. Hamish <laughs> was like, oh, you like we were talking about taste. He's like, oh, like you need to do like, you just need to dive in and go to the new Hollywood. And I was like, what's the new Hollywood? He's like, well, this sort of gave me a couple of books. And he's like, this is the new Hollywood. And and I, I went in and borrowed in one sitting in the old days where you sit at like a booth with a tiny television and DVD player or a VHS player. I went into the library and I watched Clute and um, uh, Parallax and then All the Presidents in a row. Like that was my first experience of him. So, so the paranoia, like yeah, full, the paranoia, full paranoia trilogy. Yeah, because yeah. they kept mentioning him in all the new Hollywood material that I've been given of like, this is a new Hollywood guy. This is a, you know, the paranoia thriller is like 
a quintessential tenet of these films. And it's like this guy made kind of the holy trinity of them. And I experienced them all at once. Obviously, my heart became, um, you know, I fell in love with deeply with presidents out of those three movies. Um, and, you know, it's obviously a lot easier to acquire than my high school library. But I just remember being like, who the hell is this guy? And I was at exactly the right age for it to appreciate it. I had no, none of that barrier for entry. And I just remember being like, whoa, but you know, especially in Australia for the longest time, they were kind of the only movies you could get of his and until Pelican, until Devil's Own, until Presumed Innocent, all those other smaller releases, some of which we're going to be talking about are like, you could, you probably still can't get most of them in this country. Like, uh, thank God for s- some streaming services that popped up. Um, but if you, unless you went to like a real indie video store that maybe had some like uh, some uh, importing, you could just never find it. But yeah, that, that were my first experiences sitting down in a library in halogen library lights with a crappy TV that was probably half the size of the screen I'm looking at right now to talk to you guys and that on a terrible VHS tape for Clute and Parallax. Yeah. Um, that's how I watched it. That but sounds uh, lovely. I, Actually. It was the. It was actually great. I have very fond memories of it. Yeah. Uh, he so the thing about Bakula, which I forgot um, and was reminded of just reading about him before this. He was a producer first, right? And he produced seven Robert Mulligan movies. Who was almost like a Bakula before Bakula, where he was like Mulligan yes. was a great director, but also kind of similarly like didn't have a specific style. And in that same way, Bakula kind of got lost in the shuffle and doesn't really get his due. And maybe he's getting it now more appropriately, basically because of the paranoia trilogy primarily. Yes. But Robert Mulligan, so I'll just give you the seven he produced with Mulligan. Fear Strikes Out, the baseball movie starring Anthony Perkins. To Kill a Mockingbird, ever yeah. heard of it? His first Oscar nomination <laughs> was for Best Picture for To Kill a Mockingbird, directed by Robert Mulligan. Love with the Proper Stranger, Baby the Rain Must Fall, Inside Davy, Daisy Clover, Up the Down Staircase, and The Stalking Moon. And then the next year, he makes his directorial debut with Liza Minnelli in the movie The Sterile Cuckoo, um, which I think performs okay. Does okay. Yeah, it she does gets, okay. She gets, she gets, she, just like every Pakula movie, she, she gets, gets a, lot a of nom. Crit- she yeah. gets a nom. But this is the thing about To Kill a Mockingbird. It was this New York professor looking, charming, sophisticated guy that can, that walked into Harper Lee and convinced her to give them the rights to make it as a movie. Right, that man right. is Alan Pakula. He was the guy who like met her. She saw this very intelligent, very articulate, very soft-spoken guy and was like, okay, this well, is the she, guy well, that- well, well, I think, Blake, I think she said, I got to go set a watchman real quick, but then, <laughs> but then I'll give you the rights. Yeah. Uh, oh, jokes about weird, weird drafts of books that were published 40 years later. Um, that anyway. is such a, the Harper Lee deep cuts are coming early and fast yeah. and I enjoy it. Go set a watchman. Um, but no, you're totally right. And that's, I guess the thing with him- is yeah, he's one of these guys. And look, one day we'll do Sidney Pollock on this podcast. He's another mm. one. We used to do trivia uh, a million years ago, and it's where we met a lot of people that you see at Cinefall Game Night. We talk about it a lot. It was in New York uh, at a bar called Videology, which we loved. Anyway, I did a guest trivia round about Sidney Pollock movies. And in my head, I was like, well, this is a smart group here. Like, 
everybody knows Sidney Pollock. And like nobody got anything right except for a couple teams. And I remember realizing in that moment, like, oh, you know, you don't know anything about Sidney Pollock. Like the cinephile, quote unquote, Sidney Pollock is not like one of the directors you're like digging in to his. He's not a Mount Rushmore. Yeah, you're yeah, like, oh yeah, yeah Bobby, like, Bobby Deerfield. Let me like think I, all I have, about I, you know. I haven't no. seen like I have seen on Twitter Michael Mann facts. A Twitter profile sure, follows yeah, me yeah, yeah. And, and starts to retweet some of the things I occasionally say, some of my nonsense. And I'm just like, there's not a Sydney Pollock fax. That's nor right. Nor is exactly there right. an Alan J. Pakula fax. I, and guess, I'm like, I guess we got to do it, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> well, that's partly yes. why. I mean, yes. partly, why, partly why this podcast exists is because <laughs> I think the Sydney Pollocks and the look, not, not that successful white male directors need more. My point is simply like, these are masters, in my opinion, who don't adhere to the auteur theory. So I always, I bristle at those limitations in the canon of like, you know, of, of those, of those, you know, whatever great films. No, and I'm like, go ahead. Connor. No, no, no. I was just gonna say, I think that's a good point and a, and, and a good segue, because I think at a glance, like you mentioned before, I think at a glance, some people might try and apply the auteur theory to Pakula in terms of his overall body of work, because the big ones you think of do feel like they came to a certain degree from from the same filmmaker. Right. But our first movie that we're going to talk about kind of out of the gate is like an outlier. And it's a thing that automatically kind of proves that wrong. Like and 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 that and that his filmography is riddled kind of with other ones that are like this that aren't you know, exactly the, the, uh, paranoia trilogy or what have you. Um, well, yeah. And like we, we were talking about this right before we started recording sterile cuckoo is basically a romance music driven thing. Clute's part of the paranoia trilogy. His third movie, love and pain of the whole damn thing is a, is a location romance with Timothy bottoms and young Maggie Smith parallax view, all the president's men, and then comes a horseman is a, and we were talking. I feel like we talked about this, Blake, on your podcast. It's briefly. It's like Yellowstone before Yellowstone. It's like it, it's like that, the anti-western that, before Clint Eastwood did it, right? Like the yeah, revisionist yeah, western. Yeah, uh, and the revisionist westerns did come in the seventies, and I feel yeah. like um, the revisionist western is a whole other thing. But like you know, for me, it's. Revisionist Westerns truly start with the searches, almost start and end with the searches, and then everyone's like, "Oh shit!" If John, if John Ford, the guy who invented the genre, can kind of like put his final stamp on the genre with this movie, then you know it gives us permission. But yeah, Comes a Horseman is so strange because I literally watched in the middle of all the President's minutes, and I was utterly blown away because I. It was bleak. It had a really bleak view of, uh, and all those things that then come around this time with the, you know, first blood, this like really bleak view of veterans that were kind of immediately dehumanized. And this is done in a very, I think it's, I think when you have like Brian Dennehy tie you up in a room and it's very well lit, it's like the dehumanization is part of the plot. And so it's kind of like good, but what's really discomfort, discomforting about, uh, comes a horseman uncomfortable about it rather is that, Here's James Khan and his partner just like having a dream that they can have some peace after being in this hellish war zone. And then Ben Bradley's evil Ben Bradley, which is even more hurtful. Um, Evil Ben Bradley comes along and he just wants to squash them and kill them. And it's just, it's monopolization and it's all these things. But then also Bradley in and of himself is a kind of puppet for this 
larger, amorphous, evil corporate thing. And you're like, oh, it's got all of Pakula's shit in it, all the stuff that we like, but it's telling it on a completely different scale. So for me, that's what really strikes me with Comes a Horseman. And I think Auto Theory, and I'm sorry, I have to just quickly digress. Auto Theory, because I've studied it pretty rigorously um, uh, myself, I love auto theory because it's a great way. It's a great prism with which to view movies, but it is about, it's less about a personality, even though that's what people say. The best way to approach it is like, this is a person and what are all their political, social, economic views, religious views, and how do they translate over the years of that person's life and the external influences that maybe change their opinions? Um, I think that's a good way to look at it because then I feel like there is... Pakula is definitely an auteur, but if you're just like, who's the guy who's the best on a talk show? It's De Palma. Like he wins. Like there's no one else. Just cancel auteur theory right now because De Palma wins the best guy on a chat show or Orson Welles. Those two guys, Orson Welles, De Palma, that's it. But, but, and I think that that's where Pakula missed because he was that guy. Like, oh, who wants to talk to the sophisticated guy? I want to talk to De Palma again. Who's, who's he going to get Milius on here? Who's he going to slag off? Who's he going to slag off in the middle of this thing? And we're guilty of it because they're so fun. But and we enjoy them, so therefore, like we help them be entertaining and 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 build up the mythos around them. But yeah, comes a horseman actually for me is it, it doesn't it doesn't reinforce the message that this is a paranoia trilogy. But like the fact that Bradley, who is as evil as shit in this movie, is just a puppet that scares the shit out of me. I'm really sorry. I just like it scares. Well, me it's in this an movie. it's an interesting subversion. I mean, I guess just we'll rewind quickly. But basically, comes a horseman. Right. It's 1978. It's uh, like we said, kind of an anti-Western that takes place in 1945. So it's right at the tail end of World War Two. And basically Jane Fonda, who's reuniting with Pakula at this point, um, she is a she owns a cattle ranch that is failing and it's adjacent to uh, a ranch owned by Jason Robards, who played Ben Bradley and all the presence men and won the Oscar for it. Rightly so. Obviously here he plays just a mean son of a bitch. And basically Robards is in cahoots with, um, Robards is in cahoots with this other man who's essentially got the mineral rights to the land, but they George, George Grizzard. Yeah. Yes, correct. And he actually, yeah. he's kind of a fun character actor. He pops up in two really good twilight zone episodes. Uh, yeah, he's one, a good actor. one called the chaser. And then, uh, the, I forget what the other one's called, but he's a, he's well, and, and that's an, another Bakula thing. The, the best casts ever assembled in yeah. every movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And so yeah. basically he plays, uh, he plays Neil Atkinson, who's in cahoots with JW Ewing, who's Jason Robards. And they're basically trying to get Jane Fonda off of her land. It's a fairly basic plot. In the midst of this, James Caan and war buddy Mark Harmon. Uh, so handsome. Yeah, very handsome. And it's like one of it's kind of funny. He's so young in it that you see him and you're like, that guy looks a lot like Mark Harmon. Oh, you're like, it's, he's, he's, so, he's so young in it. But um, they're basically trying to make a claim for themselves on a piece of land that they bought from Jane Fonda to so she could pay the bills, basically. Uh, Jane Fonda also has a uh, now this is the part I was is he actually her brother or 
does he just call her literally Richard Farnsworth who plays Dodger who's like the guy who helps her he I keeps think, calling her little sister, but I don't think I, she's actually. No, 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 no. It's they're just not like, related. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's a term of endearment. Term yeah. of endearment. Yeah. So yeah. Farnsworth plays this guy named Dodger who's like helping her out. It's the one Oscar nomination the movie got. Did, kind of, did, if you're going to nominate it for one, I actually think if it's not Gordon Con, Lewis, if Khan is pretty great. No, no, no. no I, I would agree. Yeah. I do think if you're going to nominate one performance, they did get it right. But yeah. Um, and it's Richard Farnsworth. He was he was a stuntman basically leading up to this. So this was his first speaking like role, basically, uh, which yeah. is kind of crazy. But yeah, it, and it basically is just kind of Khan coming to help Fonda. They partner up. They try and bring the ranch back as Jason Robards kind of stops at nothing to to really kind of think- make it go the other way. And that's basically yeah. the, the movie. To, yeah. To your point, Blake, earlier, and it's an interesting the auteur theory thing, as it applies to Pakula, is very interesting because I don't think of auteur theory that way, but that's certainly a way to think about it. Where I I prescribe it very like um, aesthetically, like Andrew Saris. Yeah, the, like, the, Saris like, invented invented the concept, so, yeah, and so then, we, the, then the yeah. French guys, the French boys, those lads from the new wave, just ran with it. Took so it I would on recommend, a whole level. yeah, if you care about this at all, and feel free to not care about this, but if you do, <laughs> look up the. You can find it online. Andrew Sears is original essay that basically like invents auteur theory. It's pretty interesting. And then Pauline Kale's like just brutal takedown of it a couple years later is equally as interesting, and it's a funny, fun little, you know, just shit talk sesh. Which you know, Kale was the queen of doing that. And anyway, so you're totally right. Because politically, and we'll get to Devil's Own, that's an older man who's lived a longer life that you would posit responds to the idea of Devil's Own because of the inherent complexities that are there, which don't, and I'm not saying Devil's Own is like a more complicated movie necessarily than some of his early work, but I think the ideas are potentially more complicated in terms of like uh motivations and i think that's an interesting way to think about in that auteur way of of themes as opposed to aesthetic that's an interesting way to think about how it gets how it gets to devil's own but but to the aesthetic point what's so cool about pakula and you brought up that gordon willis uh kind of shot yeah which is a horseman this, this movie looks beautiful Yes, it but, looks amazing. Yeah. But what's so great? But what? What's great about that is this is totally different from what Gordon Willis is remembered for. People like you know Prince of Darkness, Shadow Play. Oh my God, he could sculpt a shadow like nobody else. Completely true. The Godfather, Clute, for God's sakes, is one of the most beautiful movies ever made. You know, though these things are taught in schools. Nobody gives a shit about Comes the Horseman, <laughs> yeah. and and you would never know Gordon Willis shot it based on his reputation. And yeah. I think. You know, we talked to Darius Wolski a couple of weeks ago at this point, who's nominated for oh. News of the World. And it's so similar. Good. Like we say to him, Wolski is the anti-auteur cinematographer. He does everything really well. But News of the World is like his comes a horseman in the sense of, and he talked about that, like 
you get to make a western you get to use natural light like you don't have to worry about backlighting the get, same way and, like, and in and in news of the world you get to use torches you know that, that's yeah, the great sure. thing you'd be fiery torches so it's just like torch lit and 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 how how well lit the scene is how close the fire is to right. tom hanks's face exactly yeah uh, exactly and, yeah. and 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 this movie comes a horseman has it in spades you know there are yep. those big classical western vista shots and then there's some really great scary like uh jane fonda's house being home invasion sort of stuff on the ranch you know yeah. like um and 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 then and then just you know glorious cleansing fire like this you know this movie well, kind of has yeah, a like lot of those things yeah like small like there's the scene where farnsworth is sitting down he's got his back to the camera mm. it's a nice little scene where they're talking about Khan, and farnsworth is kind of like kind of cattily mentioning just like like yeah i don't know oh he's oh he's thinking is that bad like is that troubling you that he's like maybe a smart dude like you know and then like she's kind of begrudgingly admitting that james Kahn, who to your point dan is very good in this movie and you kind of james Kahn's always and, a movie or a movie star that i forget is like maybe as versatile as he well, is like yeah Kahn's career and we've talked about this i think before it's kind of a career defined by the roles he turned down right like and he himself as he got older and gave less shits we're admitted admitted that like he made a lot of maybe the other choices which i think is what it is i think he's got an amazing career i mean freebie and the bean you know r.i.p richard rush is a really interesting movie he made which was a big hit you know with him and alan uh arkin at the time and like he has a lot of he directed a movie called hide in plain sight like he did a lot of interesting things still alive he did a lot of interesting things um but he turned we'll out always, a lot. We, we always get to say thank you for the thief commentary track where he yells at Michael Mann about not casting him in heat. Like that's, that's, that's right. the shit. That's he's, right, like, that's right, that's right. he's like, Michael, what are you doing? You could have had the whole Godfather crew back together. I could have played Nate. I could have played what John Voight was playing. What are you doing? And it's, it's, so right. it's so funny because he's so uh, right. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's like, you go, oh shit, there's yeah. only one way this movie would have been better. It's fucking yeah. James Kahn. Yeah. Oh imagine, imagine James Kahn saying, for me, the action is the juice. Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah. No, no he's I don't know. Too, you, no, but Sizemore is so good. He's too long in the tooth for Sizemore. I mean, like the John Voight character. Yeah. Because like yes, he, yes, he yes. could be there in the in the in that space as an independent thing. And obviously, you know, full credit to John Voight. I actually think it's one of the best character roles he's ever played in his entire career. Um, but man, if that was James Khan, just like behind the bar holy shit yeah yeah with the yeah. with de niro for that one scene oh. with the de niro for a couple of scenes oh god i, that hate, would, I kind of hate to think about it actually it's like uh, you hate to think yeah. about it it's so good um but 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 con but, but i guess my point is like with comes a horseman it's one of his gent more, more is one of his gentlest performances yeah. um mm, definitely fonda is the one carrying the weight of the movie and i love jane fonda god i mean god knows um, but it allows Khan, in my opinion, to kind of play more than he does in a lot of his 70s output, right? So it's a shame. This movie kind of was underseen. It was like moderately reviewed. I think a lot of people were kind of like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, in my, it's Pakula taking a shot after a big hit, right? He's well, like, it, all right, it well. It feels like a palate cleanser. Right. Yeah. Like it you feels know, like, like I'll a, make, let me make my Western now. Right. You know, he's, like, he's yeah. finished his trilogy and 
And he's like, yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm going to relax a little bit. And it is a, it is a very even for some of the tension that mounts. Um, it's not really a very tense movie until about the last 15 or so minutes. Well, and that was a criticism at the time. Yeah. I think if the languid. But I kind of, I don't know, it stretches its legs a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, like it, but all of us in the amount of movies you watch. I love going into a movie now, especially something like this, and going, oh, it's just got a different pace. Yeah. I can relax. Yeah. It's just so nice, yeah. you know, uh, to, to, to be in a movie that has a different pace. But I've, I just didn't appreciate it until now. Like, just, it's so dumb. You've got the IMDb open to make sure you've got your facts straight. He made six movies in the 70s, and three out of those are flat out masterpieces. And a couple of the others got. Academy Award nominations for performances that were crafted. And I think Comes a Horseman is really strong. Well, but like he kicks off the seventies with Clute. He does love and pain and the whole damn thing. Parallax, Presidents, Comes a Horseman, and then Starting Over. Well, and yeah, and, and and don't sleep on starting over. He reinvents Candy Bergen's career. Yes. Like like she has said this literally, I'm talking about like in a Hollywood <laughs> reporter podcast a month ago, like for for Let Them All Talk. She gets, I believe, nominated. I believe yes. in starting over and she should have been and nobody saw it. I'll talk. If, 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 well, yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and, if there was justice in the world, Connor, <laughs> let's not go down the Oscars. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, um, and, and nobody thought she would, could be funny. I think she even says in that interview that she didn't, it wasn't even something she thought at that point. She was something she could do. And she stars in this movie with Burt Reynolds and Jill Clayburgh and like is the standout. And then it's Murphy Brown, you know what I mean? A few years yeah. later. And it's all because she shines, you know, you know, it starts there and it's like, that's Bakula. That's Bakula having faith in the people he's casting letting people play. He talks in that, uh, in that, in that um, Dick Cavett show about how different directors do different things. And he's very much a director in his own words who's like, tell me what you can give me. You know what I mean? Like, forget about the script if that's going to help you, right? So, you know, and we know that obviously from all the President's Men where you had Hoffman and Redford very actively, you know, re reinventing scenes and him having to rein them in at times, obviously. So it's, he's, Comes a Horseman is a great starting point, you know, as we move forward where it's like, he's doing this very different thing in a lot of respects, but like you were saying, Blake, it does fit within his very kind of intellectual left-leaning, um, you know, worldview. And I think, um, the best part about the best part about comes of horseman, I think is it opens with the funeral of, uh, Jason Robard's son who was killed in the war Yes. And that is the smartest thing the movie does because that shroud of tragedy informs that villainous character in a way that like so few Westerns ever allow. And that's important because Robarts yeah. is, he's like the dark, literally dar the darkest person in the movie in terms of the way Willis lights him, which is obviously intentional. And then his performance is so tired and like nobody plays tired better than, Jason Robards, which Very is my uh, this is my favorite thing in movies. People playing tired is literally my favorite thing. It's why it's, <laughs> it's why Michael Clayton is like the best movie ever made because it's just like the best tired there's, in movies. There, there's no one there's no one that's ever been more tired than everyone in Michael Clayton. <laughs> I and love also, it. I, and, I, and also, I and also just want to say thank you 
And thank Tom Wilkinson for the greatest man carrying bread meme that is just still <laughs> living on. It's just, it's a, it's a uh, mood. I was so lucky to talk to Matthew Miele, who uh, is the director of the Alan Pakula Going for Truth documentary, which is finally oh, right, right, starting right, yeah. to see some light. Um, did a special bonus with the for presidents, and you know the the film I got, I actually got to see too. It came um, through Oz in the Jewish International Film Festival here, and. It's an incredible, it's an incredible film and he's incredible. And it's like, try and get like the most murderous row of like incredible actors that all just sit down and gush about you nonstop um, is incredible. Um, and, and exactly, you know, Fonda talked about comes a horseman and, 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 and the, everyone was involved, talks about comes a horseman as this, you know, this is other expression. He was really into the psychological motivations of characters. And so I think that that's another thing why his canvases can be so great and, and why sometimes they miss, um, but also why they can be so great. It's like he can really get, if, if an actor and he and an actor are working on the same level, he can really get to that psychological interior so well that you're just like completely invested in the movie. And that's why his best movies are, they're all about that. And some of his lesser movies um, in, in what is ultimately like a, a pretty incredible career, like that's that's why they yeah. don't work sometimes because it's just like, oh, this person's hard to penetrate or they're a bit one-dimensional. But all those characters that have a lot of moral quandaries, they're always good. Yeah, and, we're, and it's a good segue to the, our next movie, which is one of his god bless lesser movies um but (laughs) this movie's crazy yeah Yeah, so let me i'll get us to consenting adults i just want to bring up so we talked about starting over which is an interesting rom-com burt reynolds kind of at the height of his stardom candy bergen like i said jill clayberg at the height of her stardom um uh, Jill Clayburgh got she was good. Um, we were watching <laughs> me and my wife were watching Bridesmaids two nights ago. She is so there's like two of the greatest funniest scenes I've ever seen. I forgot she's like Kristen Wiig's mother, where she's like she's like I went to <laughs> she's like I went to the anonymous uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, meeting a couple nights ago, and this this it's wonderful young man Marvin Johnson was talking about it, and 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 Kristen Wiig's like mom it's anonymous, and she's like. Oh, sorry, oh. Marvin J. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Um, all right, so so he so he makes rollover in eighty one, which is also Fonda and Chris Christopherson, which I definitely brought up briefly when we did all the presidents minutes. It's literally like financial all the presidents men. And to your point, Blake, it's a great example of what you're just talking about. The idea is great, and it's just like it, what. It, it's just that thing about making movies about finance. It doesn't really gel. It's almost like the crimes that are in the movie, you're kind of like, and this maybe speaks to how we're in our current state in the world is like, as a viewer, you're like, so what a little bit, yeah, which because, because you expect financial people to be crooked. Yeah. Kind that's, of. that's, that's why rollover doesn't work is because in 1981, yeah. Like it's Wall Street era. Like it's 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 well, and the, it's partly it's, why consenting adults doesn't work. The kind of so Sophie's Choice, obviously iconic. He friggin' Kevin Klein's first movie for fuck's sake, insane. And then you know uh, iconic for the Merrill of it all. Dream Lovers, a forgotten Christy McNichol thriller. Orphans is an ad- adaptation of the um the play written by i just want to make sure you have right lyle kessler right which i went up on broadway like 10 years ago actually um that's underseen seeing the morning rom-com with jeff bridges i cannot get my hands on orphans in oz 
I yeah, gotta see if I, I can find I, it's a hard to get up. it here. It's hard to get it here. It's hard yeah. to get it anywhere. Yeah, it's a kind of a lost little movie. Um, so I haven't seen Orphans, but um, his '80s like, and we were talking about Hal Ashby in our last podcast. Actually, his '80s like a lot of '70s directors '80s were a little bit lost. I think like he was trying stuff; it wasn't always working. I think it speaks to the the vibe of the times as much as yeah. anything it's, it's, else. You know, it's something I keep bringing up. Uh, like uh, just as a trend of like it's called like remasculinized america so like it's the difference between first blood and first blood part two in first oh God, blood yeah. ptsd trauma like local you know uh, uh uneducated uh prejudiced people that torment a poor veteran and then the second movie is we will get revenge for vietnam and, yeah. you know, it's just like everyone's muscle bound and there's explosions and we're going to nope. win this war. Yeah. And, and so and some of those more sensitive seventies guys, when they get to the eighties, are like, I don't fucking know what to do with this. I don't know. No, what to do. no, fr- <laughs> no, no franchise except maybe Rocky, which is funny to think about, but like those two franchises are so you're, you're so right about this. They're so almost like the how the Bond movies reflect the culture as the well, time. right? Yeah. Those also are like that, where like the first Rocky, he's a fucking loser, dude. People are like, he's a loser. Like, it's not even <laughs> like, it's like this dude sucks. He can barely read, like, fucking loser guy. And the fact that he doesn't die to, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali, Apollo Creed is like, the whole deal and then by like the fourth one he's like you know a machine it's just kind of it's just funny and i like most of those rock movies but yeah you're right rambo my god by the third one he's like helping the afghanis fight he's, the, help, whatever. he's helping crazy. the uh he's he's helping the taliban the mujahideen the mujahideen exactly it's unbelievable <laughs> unbelievable but so okay oh, consenting adults now yeah we're here <laughs> now, now let's talk about consenting adults, and then we'll bring it back to presumed innocent. Because presumed innocent comes out two years before. It's a big hit. It's a bit of a pivot for Harrison Ford, who's kind of just finished Indiana Jones. It's a departure in the sense of it's a way darker role. It's a novel adaptation from the Scott, Scott the Scott Turow, like huge bestseller. Uh, which if you Scott Turow was a Chicago lawyer, like a legit lawyer who wrote this book and it like blew blew people's hair back. And then they made, you know, back in the day, this was so common, which I miss, which is like, then it becomes this big movie with Harrison Ford. And it's like Bakula's first real thriller since the seventies. And it's great. I think it's Gordon Willis comes back. Right. And it's like, you cannot, I I cannot get enough of Harrison Ford in this period because he goes temple of dooms, 84. Then he does witness, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mosquito coast, which is, one of my favorite movies of all Amazing. time. He, he does. Um, he goes frantic, which is pretty good. Working girl. He then he goes back to Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade in '89, and then this run of like. Um, although I'm not the biggest fan of regarding Henry, he's definitely going for it. Um, but he does presumed innocent regarding Henry, Patriot Games, and then The Fugitive, and you're like, whoa! Like yeah. it's just well, The Fugitive just- feels like because The Fugitive is literally a perfect movie, and The Fugitive feels okay. like everything he learned in those five years perfectly yeah. combined Cal- calibrated into this. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and but presumed innocent he is a he's rusty savage he's 
basically an asshole. He's he's like actively not liked. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. an asshole. Yeah. And, and like, like what, I, what I love yeah. about the movie is, and we won't. I, the the less you know about the movie, listener, if yeah, you haven't yeah, seen yeah, it yeah. going in, the better because. What I forgot about the movie, my wife had not seen it and we watched it last night and I forgot how little the movie gives you to start with and how much actually unfolds. And it's amazing. You're like, oh, this is the best because it's literally like every step of the movie is like, you think you know someone and then it just, you're like five facts come to light and you're like, oh, okay. Like I'm watching this movie and it unfolds in this great way. Well, I know. And then in the, (laughs) and then like every five minutes, it's like, speaking of a great cast, it's like John Spencer crushing Brian yeah. Dennehy crushing, <laughs> crushing. John Brian Spencer crushing. crushing it's just yeah. like back and forth yeah. he's like two greatest character actors ever lived it's, it's amazing and, yeah. and don't forget the sexiest Raul Julia like oh, look God. at his hair and, and, and his goatee and, and he's just so comforting like we're the, be- like, yeah. the beginning of the end yeah he yeah was, like that yeah. Was the, the last minute few. Raul Julia steps in you're like I can this guy be my lawyer for like everything? Like you, you kind of you're just like, oh, we're in good hands. It's, it's the that best. that character I miss. It's not that common anymore. It was so common in the '80s, especially in the '90s, of the the slick lawyer who comes in halfway through. You know who does? I re- love that. You know character. who does a really fucking good job of that? Actually, is Bill Pullman in Dark Water. Yeah. Or is it yeah. Dark, dark, waters? Dark, waters. dark Waters? Yeah, Dark, dark waters. waters. Yeah, he's kind of yeah. got that vibe. But 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 a similar thing where you're like, you have no idea what it's, kind of territory you're in. And he comes in and you're like, okay, I th- maybe we'll fucking figure this out. Like, okay, yeah. it's, it's, it's Bill Pullman. And sorry to be extremely biased to the work that my friends and I do. But then it's Sancho Smilex, Esquire, Benicio Del Toro in Inherent <laughs> yeah, Vice. Yeah, that's true. It's, that's it's, true. It's, 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 Raul Julia is halfway between those two. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, you know. Look, but we you talked gotta, about... Split, you but <laughs> sorry go no but but uh but meryl uh speaking of meryl we we did a b-side of her movies we talked about before and after the barbara schroeder movie not a good movie mm. but halfway through that movie alfred molina. Uh, alfred molina shows up and oh, it's like shit. oh molina he's gonna figure he's gonna figure it out and it's like i like those susan sarandon is the lead version of that and the client from uh 92 93 yeah. anyway yeah. it's a common thing and um but yeah, Raul so, Julia does it like perfect. Julia is great. Yeah. And then like even, you know, Greta Sachi, who is it's an underrated performance. She's an underrated actress. She and it's always funny, my mom loves resuming innocent. If you ever bring it up to, to my mom, she'll be like, Oh, she was so bad. She was so bad. <laughs> but That's it's like what mom. I love is I'm kind of like was she? I don't know. Or was well, this just, she was, or was just this men in the eighties being fucking nonsense? Is that where you know, whatever? You know, but but like, you know what's you know what's great about Pakula? This is where he's like a pre-visionary. Yeah. Is that I think you can watch Presumed Innocent. I think Pakula loves his movies to be rewatchable. Sure. And I think you can watch it right now. And it is just as good, no matter what uh, lens you cast uh, on no, it. No, hundred, like, hundred. You're it like, almost oh, makes the it ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. You're like the ecosystem of these absolute greedy shit bags and, and like that's that's what creates a person you know, like this and then that, and then you can do the yeah. whole bunny boiler opposite end of the spectrum like oh this poor man and i think i don't think we call this either of those but i think the movie lends itself to those readings the the the, the thing you know it's funny we were talking about presumed innocent the the thing that presumed innocent does that movies and i hate lamenting movies nowadays whatever but it is a thing that i feel like is a little lost is and it's also, no matter when you made a movie, this is hard. 
the the presumed innocent doesn't let you the viewer get ahead of the characters oh yeah it's not which is which is hard to do yep and when it's done right like the presumed innocent is underrated in how effective it is because like you're saying connor you're and look this is consenting adults which he makes right after this is also kind of tee it up because it's it comes right after and it's kind of the it's kind of the opposite yeah. of that. And yeah. should not, I guess you're not ahead of, you're a little ahead of, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. The, no, the car, and I think this is it. We have just been gushing about a great thriller that yeah. doesn't give you too many details. It gives you the exact right amount of details. And the cast, the cast lends itself to that appraisal of the text. Yeah. When you get to consenting adults, all of that is turned on its head because you've yeah. got like two great actors who are the main characters that feel like they're totally right. And then you get the spacey character as, as, as the, I guess the key antagonist. And it's like, Oh no, this guy's bad from second one. Not only is it weird and baddie, but it's like, exactly you right, know yeah. that this person's the evil person from the second exactly the right. movie yeah. starts. And this yeah. came, yeah. I'm just trying to put it in, in, uh, spacey context, just well, in terms God, of yeah. His, so uh, well, just in terms of his image, yeah. like this was also pre Usual Suspects. So he like and seven, right? So he wasn't even that guy yet. And swimming Ooh. with sharks, right? So he wasn't well, even that guy yet. In no. but 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 Spacey from the beginning was playing. I mean, not a sociopath, mind you, but he was the shit heel. Uh, in Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, right? That's, the yeah, same that's, year. A, that's a good point. Yeah, he was the shit heel husband in the ref, which I think is like the same year, if not the year before. So he he was making a career playing these like manipulative shitheads type of a thing, right? Um, now look, this as we let's we'll pivot to consenting adults. I'm not. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let Blake. Tell you what the plot of this movie is, and we're gonna spoil every single. Oh thing no, we about have this to movie. spoil it because yeah, let me insane. Yeah, let me let me just say. Now, Kevin Spacey, obviously, um, all of the things that have come out about him, terrible, uh, what have you. As an actor, look, I think he does really good work. Obviously, has some iconic performances. Usual Suspects, Seven, um, parts of American Beauty. I think that performance hasn't aged particularly well, but but um. He's For the same reason that consenting adults has an yeah. very well, oh to be God. honest. Yeah, and and so certainly a guy who is a very talented performer and knows what his well, this maybe maybe he doesn't actually. I was going to say when when he's hitting where he knows where he's good, like you know he is great. Um, this performance in consenting adults, I would wager is. The worst performance by a movie star I've ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> I, I was trying to think, like Jessica Biel and Stealth, but it's I think that's more Stealth's fault than it is. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you it's, know, it's like this is up this there. this it's, is it's, it's a big it's a big call. But did you notice that Connor and I were like, yeah, that's fair. Like, we no, didn't even no, respond I, to how outrageous no, that call no, is. No, like that is. That is, I guess, technically hyperbole if you want to get semantics about it. But uh, no, but uh, it's like it it kind of isn't. Like you know what I mean? Like it's Okay. Let me just tell you the plot of this yeah, movie. Please, and guys, this is a please. this this is a spoiler laden plot. Yeah, go, so, go, go. Um so Kevin Klein and his wife 
Mary Elizabeth <laughs> Master Antonio, uh, uh, basically like uh, f- uh, composers and and sort of like small time sort of composers. They're upper class New Yorkers and they're in the grind of, well, we're kind of in the middle class. We're struggling. We're trying to do all these things for status and, and it's kind of not working. We're struggling to make ends meet. Q who moves in next door, Kevin Spacey and his absolutely smoke show of a wife, Rebecca Miller. And from the moment that he moves in that he's, he's that kind of enviable neighbor, the, the perfect covetable neighbor. He's a guy who, is fit at the time, even though his hair's thinning so goddamn fast. He's that he has boats. They, Literally they have, from it, scene to scene, it's the it's, it's, it's boats, gaudy furniture, but it's all that like '90s middle class shit. And so what happens is Klein and Master Antonio get into some kind of you know I wouldn't say like treacherous, but it's just kind of like annoying money issues, challenges, and Kevin Spacey solves it for them. And they start to have this weird relationship where they've kind of, you know, I, I think I think we all have permission when you have friends and you go out and drink and you're all comfortable with each other. There's like, there's a harmless flirting situation that can go on with longtime friends. But what happens is there is an insidious baiting of like Kevin Spacey always putting his wife on show for these guys. And so what happens is Klein, who, why would you look anywhere but at Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, thank you right. very much. Okay, uh, yeah, we'll get, we'll come back. To this, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll come on. back to that. Yeah. Um, is baited into this scenario because he believes that he has this implicit connection with Rebecca Miller. That oh, maybe we could have you know something could go down. Anyway, he's tricked, like sort of I don't know, into the most sort of dumb, but it actually works with um, indecent proposal later to do a wife swap for an evening. And so when you just see the logline for this movie, you might think that it's going to be some kind of like wife swap, uh, like, you know, keys in a bowl sort of drama. It's not. Kevin Spacey tricks Klein to go and shagging his wife. Spoilers, it's not his wife. It's a prostitute who then Kevin Spacey bashes her head in with a baseball bat and frames him and he basically goes to jail. Then fool me once, shame on me. For me twice, so for shame on you. For me twice, shame on me. <laughs> Kevin Klein then goes and finds his real wife, who's in hiding. Rebecca Miller's character, she's hiding, and finds her. And then Spacey finds out that he finds her, and then he bashes his real wife's head in, double jeopardy style, with a baseball bat. And then Kevin <laughs> Klein escapes the cops, and then goes back because now Kevin Spacey's like hanging out with his wife because you know she thinks he's a murderer yeah mary uh, and, mary Stu- uh, elizabeth mary, mary yeah. elizabeth Mastertonia. and then he tries to bash her head in with a baseball bat but she will bashes not be full thrice with a baseball bat and the best part about everything you just said is the last few <laughs> the last 15 minutes of this movie is commando kevin's kevin yeah, klein yeah. just becomes I mean, an action star it's the craziest like yeah it's uh, I just so, was like, oh my Can God. I say something that I, it, so I was watching this. We watched, my wife and I last night, we watched Presumed Innocent and then we watched this, which I'm kind of glad we did because I think this movie carries over a bunch of things, kind of weirdly specific things like uh, dead sperm and DNA, you know, oh. like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like that yeah. kind of thing where you're like, there these like subplots of, you know, finding blood type from sperm and identifying and all that. And you're like, Okay, like to a point where I'm almost like, did Pakula just have a thing in his head that he was just like paranoid about? And he this is how he got it out. Um, Not to mention that both 
movies feature a you know stereotypical very beautiful duplicitous blonde and then the other female lead is the curly haired brunette put upon cast aside housewife right meanwhile in both movies back to you they're like point, stunning like, they're people, stunning right? women right like where yeah it's bonnie like, bedelia and uh it, mary elizabeth which Mastantonio. like which is something mary I, elizabeth Mastantonio is my forever crush it's a way. good pick just, it's a good pick uh, but, so that's just the other like it's more ridiculous in this movie than it isn't presumed innocent because that movie does a slightly better job with that whole dynamic because the performances are just generally better uh but and and you're right right in the middle by the way is another triple horn and stone in basic instinct right across the street <laughs> no that's kind that's of what all, i'm saying it's like it's like it's, it's all it's, happening it's, 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 part the of the, it's part of the trope but the the fundamental conceit of this movie is and i'm glad you brought up indecent proposal because it it indecent proposal works that mechanic fucked up as it is in a way that you're like kind of becomes an interesting cocktail hour conversation where it's like if a human paid you a ton of money to have sex with your spouse and you needed the money would you take them up on it right whereas like this is like the conceit is like hey what if we just raped each other's wives yeah, that's like, exactly what it is. Because, like, it's literally, it's not, it's not like they're swingers, it's, right? It's not like they're pitching. You're, you're like, not at oh, the table. You're not at the table. It's not the ice storm, no, which no, also it, has Kevin Klein in it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but yeah, it's not like this conversation that happens where it's like both Rebecca Miller and Kevin Spacey are like, hey, what if we did this? Right. Where you're like, ooh, this could be some drama, right? Whatever you want to call it. And can it's, I say, if that was it, so if they, set the scenario yeah of the wife's being complicit and then there was the murder it would be, be a 50 times better better yeah it'd yeah. be way well, better because here's the it, fundamental well if it was more like double indemnity yeah, like if, yeah. Yeah. exactly and the yeah. reason the reason it all falls apart is because obviously like you said blake the scene where it all transpires like you you immediately know as a viewer you're like oh Kevin Spacey's not gonna do it and Kevin Klein's gonna do it right and that's gonna yeah. be now granted even if you don't know where the movie's going explicitly you at least assume like oh this is gonna turn into the drama of the movie right but so then it goes insane and it turns into this like oh man isn't this a bummer for Kevin Klein and I'm like no because he's a rapist <laughs> like and I get that it's all a lie but he didn't know that at the time that he did it so fuck that guy well because I, we're, and, we're, we're forgetting we're all, you go ahead, we're all, all no I was just gonna say we're all guys who have partners now yeah. at any like even just coming upstairs after recording or editing podcasts really late at night. Do you know how sometimes I've like gone to snuggle my wife, just snuggle. And I've scared the living daylights out of it, but like touching right. her stomach. The weird, the like, weird conceit like, is they're like, oh yeah, the, no, they're not, they're not going to notice. Like, well, so find- no, but so that's, that, yeah. So, so the reason, the reason it is a hundred percent rape is because Kevin Spacey is goading Kevin Klein the whole time. Like you were saying, Blake, and his bit is he's like, Oh, I know you want to fuck my wife. Like, spoiler alert, I want to fuck your wife, right? Ha ha. And he's like, but let me ask you a question. Do you ever have sex with your wife late at night? And it's like, you know, you guys are both half asleep. Ha ha. Right. And it's like, okay. And then he goes, you think if we switched, 
you know, we switched partners. So, would they even would would in. they would they even notice? And would they even mind? But the thing is, he's asking that to Kevin Klein. Nobody asks the women. <laughs> no, no, there are no consenting adults in consenting adults. It's insane. I mean, there's like there's two, there's one half on uh, <laughs> no, either you, side, you and, and, I mean? and it's, it's all a lie. It's, it's demented. Lie. It's demented. And like everybody involved should fucking be in jail for this movie. Like now, we should say <laughs> we should say. What's so funny is Rebecca Miller, who's the fourth lead and obviously the least famous, if you will, of these four at the time. She was an actress. She was in movies like Wind, the Carol Ballard movie with Matthew Medina. It's actually a pretty good movie. And um, a couple other things. She stopped acting and she became a really great filmmaker. She's Arthur Miller's daughter. Um but she's made great movies. Like she's made The Ballad of Jack and Rose, which is an underrated Dan Day Lewis movie. Um, the Private Lives of Pippa Lee, amazing underrated uh, Robin Wright movie. More recently, Maggie's Plan. Yeah, which is like just like yeah. really has not made a bad movie. Very impressive filmmaker. So it's just so funny to watch her as like the not femme fatale, femme fatale with this like the whole bit in this movie. Here was the other thing. I think the key, one of the key differences when you talk about this. And presumed innocent is uh, Pakula didn't write this. Uh, Matthew mm. Chapman mm. wrote this, which I think is a big difference. The whole bit where Kevin Klein realizes that <laughs> Rebecca Miller is still alive is he hears her voice on the radio and is like, "Oh wait, that I know that voice." And then like goes to the lounge where there was a tournament competition. Yeah which she won and that is his proof she's still alive and the whole time i'm like but wait a minute couldn't have that just been recorded a week right. before she and, like it's stuff like uh, that you, that just it's so it's, confusing you, you mentioned so the, the, like, the, the challenge the, the challenge is though it's everything connor yeah and dan it's it's yeah 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 it's there's like now, no quick easy I, way to fix this movie like the, it's the, so there's fundamentally no, there's not, broken <laughs> like, every, the, a lot of the ideas a lot of the ideas are the worst expression of those ideas and what's bad for pakula is that it wasn't like he was coming off something that wasn't incredible he literally had something that had a lot of the similar similar themes and ideas and then it jumped in there and spacey feels like he's got more of an attraction to klein than anything like you know there's that old like michael jordan last dance joke about like why are you betting me for my 10 bucks you've got like millions he's like because i know that your money is in my pocket when i win and you know your money's in my pocket when I win. And it feels like that for consenting adults because like Kevin Spacey at no point in the movie feels like he ever wants to sleep with uh, Kevin Klein's wife, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonia. He doesn't feel like that at any point in the movie. He feels like yeah. he wants to, it's a trick. And and then and then he feels like he's, he's, he's putting one over everyone. And it just feels like when you set up a movie and you so blatantly know who the villain is like and it's not like a cool action movie where it's actually henry cavill and he's got a cool bad guy mustache from minute one it it kind of sucks and and what was really bad is that it, this is the you know I, i'm i saved it for this podcast i was going to tweet it but i was like i'm going to talk to the boys about it like it's 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 Pakula's black hat. Like it's the it's the thing that has the it, it's the thing that you, has all the themes. You and has all get the black, things that you get he does. Black hat out of your mouth when you're talking about this movie. Uh, Don't uh, even. Uh, uh, it's 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 a, it's it's something that literally has all the things we like about him in it. Yes, yes, yes. In yes, the that's worst a good point. possible expression of those yeah. things. It, and I think people were like, "This is maybe like." 
of all of his films, I genuinely do not think until I saw Consenting Adults that there was a bad one. I, I saw ones that weren't as good. Yes. Yeah, and weren't as... R- Rollover is... is yeah, like a movie like Rollover is not quite interesting enough, I would say, right? Like we talked about briefly. And like, you know, stuff like Starting Over is like a, mm. like a, a, a single up the middle, if you, you know, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, like this is the only one I've seen where you're like, wow, this is a like yeah. B.A.D. Yeah. Just bad movie. <laughs> to its core. It cost it cost the same as Presumed Innocent, basically. It made a tenth of what Presumed made. Yeah, we should be clear. Yeah, like it's good to mention that because like it's not like this is some movie that came out. I mean, look, and Kevin has a- Cla- just aged yeah. poorly. Like when it came out. People yeah. were like, "No mm. thanks." <laughs> like, this is this was a weird time for Klein. He wins the surprise Oscar for *Fish Called Wanda*, which is one of the best Oscar wins ever. Right, yeah. one of the best comedy right. performances in the history of comedy. You know, and he's he even like kept my, his mustache from that role. Frankly, he's like, like one of my <laughs> he's like one of my favorite actors, Kevin Klein. But this is a weird little moment for him. He makes *The January Man* uh, the year after he wins the Oscar, which is like a very flawed, weird movie. Way more interesting than this movie, but also just like very messy type of a thing. He makes I Love You to Death, which I actually love, uh, uh, which is the uh, Lawrence Kazan movie, which is like an amazing comedy, which nobody cared about, which I would recommend everybody go see. But like nobody God, sees I, it. I, everyone you're talking about, I'm like, God, I've seen it so long ago. I need to do like a Kevin Klein deep dive one of yeah, these I mean, months that and one, just like go back to those ones. I Love You to Death is an underrated, you know, Kazan gets mixed reviews because I think people waver on the big chill and whatever, but like. But and then he does Grand Canyon, which is also Kazan, which like it's almost like the original Crash, which people you know don't love Grand Canyon. I I think it's a little bit better than that. But anyway, um, so it's a weird string of kind of like it's that Oscar curse thing that people talk about. It's kind of happening to him a little bit. And then I think Dave mm. kind of steadies the ship for a minute there and, and whatever. But so it's a weird time. Spacey's just getting famous. Mary Elizabeth Mastantonia is kind of right in the middle of her run to some degree. Waterworld's coming up, and that's that's a weird one. And and so. Yeah, it's just a it's a weird movie for all involved. And it's like you're totally right about Spacey. The thing with Spacey, right, which we can look back now with like a lot of clarity, he was always lecherous and the lecherous thing was was a a tool like in terms of the way he could sculpt a character. Mm. Yeah. I but mean, then- look at Verbal Kin. Verbal Kin is a lecherous character, but he's uh um He's he's kind of uh, castrated, lecherous. right? Well, and that's so and this, like the the, yeah. the the threat the threat is diminished, and then you look at like John Doe, and John Doe is the sociopathically lecherous because his expression is lecherous and how he conducts himself, but like the yeah. the is that very steady sort of well, thing. And what happened? What happened to Spacey before everything? You know, well, all the chickens came home to roost, uh, deservedly. But but when he became a movie star, right? American Beauty. Yeah or whatever you think about that role in that movie now, it works because of that exact same thing. But mm-hmm. then he starts being the more straight down the middle lead, pay it forward, K-Pax, right? Like these Life of David Gill, Jesus Christ. And it's like, it just doesn't work because you're not rooting for this guy. You're like, no, no, yeah. no, this guy's weird. Like, I don't yeah. know, I'm not rooting. <laughs> I'm not rooting the, the reason like, Jack Vincennes works like gangbusters, right? Because, of course. Like, yes. oh my God. Because, oh. you're like, because you're like, fuck this guy, fuck this guy, fuck that's this guy. The hardest, and then that's that the movie, hardest like, role. That's the hardest role to revisit with him oh, now. Oh, post. Yeah, I agree. Because he's so great. That's like yeah. my And it's, cool, but and it's, and it's literally and my, the reverse, my, right? Where you're like. And my dear friend, my dear friend Jordan Harper made a wonderful pilot 
for what would have been a CBS, I think it was a CBS show for LA Confidential, and he cast Walton Goggins as Jack Vincent. And and that was the first episode. I've seen the pilot. I've read the script. We've talked about it many times. If you guys, I think you guys might be able to get your hands on it. We'll talk about it offline. But like, I I always think, shit, if I had like some CGI, if I had that Ridley Scott money, (laughs) I'd go back and be like, let's Goggins it, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Like just Jack. Jack. (laughs) Yeah. But you're you're right. That's a perfect, like good guy, quote unquote, but but morally bankrupt, good guy uh, uh, version of it. So anyway, I mean, look, that's consenting adults. Um, the next year, he has a huge comeback, Pakula does, with The Pelican Brief, which is Denzel's first $100 million movie, which is important. Um, Julia Roberts is like, this is the end of... Her, this is basically the end of her first five-year bombshell run, right? Where it's just like, holy shit, out of the gate, star of the century, right? Basically, mm-hmm. 89 to 93, she kind of has the Mary the, the the Mary Riley years, we'll call them the Michael Collins years, <laughs> with 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 a, with a little uptick of something to talk about, directed by Lassa Hallstrom, which is pretty good and did okay. And then her big comeback five years later is uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, right, by P.J. Hogan, which is a pretty great movie. And it's like this is really like it's her, it's Denzel, it's based on John Grisham. It's like the John Grisham year, 93. It's like the client just came out, the firm's coming out, Pelican Brief is out. It's like Grisham's hot. Turo, Scott who? Turo, we don't care about Turo anymore. We like Grisham now. <laughs> and it's like um, Pelican Brief. So I was thinking about, I rewatched it today. And I feel like we talked about this already. Maybe I'm just like thinking of Twitter. Pelican Brief is certainly not a perfect movie, but it's like the type of movie when you watch, I was watching this morning and just the first three minutes are just magic hour shots of silhouetted pelicans. And I was like, what happened to movies, man? This used to be. This, this was like this was like best. it used to be big entertainment, right? Like, it like just, I, would, I was this like, this was a exactly, summer movie. Yeah. This was a this summer is, movie. I'm getting silhouetted pelicans and yeah. beautiful James Horner score. I'm like, what happened? Now I'm getting like pixelated Netflix movies shot on digital so you could watch them on your phone. I Dig- love that Ugh. you said what happened because that is I've watched I've been much better this year. Um, I'm I'm back at I'm back at study at the moment, so I'm back at university doing a master's right now. And um, so in between study, I'm actually having a banner year for watching movies. But for me, it's not watching the same movie uh, other than Zodiac, which is occupying a hell of a lot of my time. Sure. <laughs> um, but I won't watch that in whole pieces like I did with One Eight Minute. I watch it in chunks. The movie I've watched this year the most is The Pelican Brief. It's so I, comforting. I love it. <laughs> I watch, I like, I, I obviously finished all the President's Men last year. Um, and thought maybe I could never watch a Pakula movie for the next you know few years just to kind of cleanse my palate. But I watched this movie. It is so much better than people give it credit for. It is so goddamn entertaining. It is so well acted. There is a murderer's row of a cast. Yeah. And it just is a great film. It just, and exactly like you said, beautiful vistas, close claustrophobic car parks isolated little cabins beautiful big opulent uh southern mansions like it's this is movies baby like let's go (laughs) and like it's funny too because it i mean 
that this was big entertainment and like what you know presumed innocent right like all these that these were big entertainment once upon a time i think it does come from a place that that grisham place and i think dan and i have probably said this on the show before but i'll bring it up again but like that like i think when you got to a certain point in like the late by like the late 90s early 2000s it was almost like like legal slash political paranoid thrillers like were the mcu you know what i mean where it's like they all felt they all felt of a piece and people were just kind of like another one of these like you know they like they were superhero movies almost to a degree i feel like at least as far as a you know large scale adult entertainment is concerned well yeah because because we talked about it because because basically especially with grisham is the great comp for that because the firm's a big hit the pelican brief's a big hit the client's a big hit a time to kill is a big hit and that's that's 93 to 96 and then it's three in a row that don't hit and that's the chamber with chris o'donnell the death uh the death penalty movie the rainmaker chris uh, Chris o'connell yep chris yeah chris Chris o'donnell and then the rainmaker Chris yeah, o- sorry, Chris O'Donnell's the excuse for why that movie's terrible. Oh, Go on. Yeah, we're going on to the next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Going, yeah. And then and then <laughs> The Rainmaker, which I love actually, but didn't do particularly well, directed by Francis Ford Coppola with Matt Damon. That's 97. And then The Gingerbread Man from 98, which was a movie, it was a Robert Altman movie with an amazing cast, Kenneth Branagh, Robert Downey Jr., among many, many others. But the movie basically got taken from Altman and recut by the studio and barely got released. So I think by the end of 98, the bloom had fallen off the rose in terms of those types of moves. But for the, the first half of that decade, Connor, you're totally right. It's like, unbelievable. they're movies. all hits. And by the end of it, people are just like, Oh, another one of these. And now I'm like, I would kill somebody yeah. to get like I, I five of these. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So fun. <laughs> I would kill someone to live within a legal thriller just so I could experience it. That. <laughs> um, so true. But uh, the the only thing that I think is wrong with the Rainmaker, and this is Francis Ford Coppola's aptitude for this, is he's not very good at White Knights, Francis Ford Coppola, and the the character is written very much. The Matt Damon character is a bit of a White Knight of a character, and the best character in that movie is Danny DeVito, and I just feel like the movie is yearning to pivot to this absolute dirtbag sleazeball barely accredited not even accredited lawyer character um yeah. you know to to do that but yeah no back to the pelican brief and back to pakula i just think the the updated look at journalism the the awareness of a post watergate world that is infused on this movie the inherent corruption of like big business and their influence over politics like and how prescient it is now like watching it on revisit and just how damn good it is to watch a movie that has denzel washington and julia roberts as your leads of a movie like how insane that is in 2021 remember movie stars they just and having a movie where they clearly have a chemistry and attention but the movie doesn't cheapen the fact that like the 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 drastic pace of the movie is like doesn't cheapen the fact that she's a woman who's grieving from a partner who's dead and that's what's motivating her and they just have a great connection and just like the way they talk about each other their embrace it's got that like it's almost like yeah. a 1940s hollywood movie and it just well, it just feels it, good yeah and it's funny you say that because at the time there was a lot of criticism about that they don't kiss Greg Grantham and Darcy Shaw because in the book I think that was more of a part of it and it's so funny that 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 was a thing that was a criticism or like a disappointment to people because to rewatch it now Sam Shepard is her law teacher slash boyfriend who's struggling with alcoholism 
who basically we don't need to go through the whole plot of the movie, but basically people are trying to kill the Supreme Court justices and Darcy Shaw, played by Julia Roberts, writes a brief based on research that is shockingly correct, too correct. And she he, she, she gives it to Sam, Sam Shepard, who's friends with John Hurd, who's like kind of a government spook, who gets it into the wrong hands. Uh, classic Tony Goldwyn. Tony Goldwyn in the Tony Goldwyn yeah. role, playing Tony Goldwyn. <laughs> yeah. and, and it leads to Sam Shepard's insane demise which i forgot 30 minutes in the car just explodes you're like sam yeah. and then and her reaction is insane and then um so anyway the point being to i totally agree with you they should not like it should only be teased it should only be chemistry that works on like a basic professional level and that kind of cute little ending you know where greg grantham is like teases at like who she is at the end like that's all very lovely i also don't think I forgot about this movie in the Denzel of it all. I don't know that he's ever looked better. He's just stunning Never. in this uh, movie. I mean, he's... I don't know, man. I submit Ricochet, but that's... It's he... only the year before, right? So yeah, it's, so I it's, guess it's, it's yeah. right in the pocket. He's, yeah. he's jogging in Washington oh, in shorts. Oh, he's got, got, the, he's got the He's got the Howard pants. University shirt I do on. Wanna, oh, I do want to double back real quick. My dude. I do want to double back real quick. You mentioned <laughs> jogging, and I want to double back real quick to consulting adults it. before we move on. No, please, oh, no, 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 no. I'll be real quick about it because it was something my wife very astutely pointed out as we were watching, and we were like laughing at it with each success, successive scene. In the first 30 minutes of that movie, when Kevin Spacey and Kevin Klein are buddies, they're like exercising together. And in the first scene, they're jogging, they're jogging like aliens, like like no one has ever jogged yeah. or whatever. And then also, that's <laughs> not, not not great camera work. No, 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 no. But oh, each yeah. successive scene, they're like doing less where like the next time they're exercising, they're just riding bikes. And then the next scene yeah. after that, they're in a gym and he's just doing sit ups like they're not even like moving. Yeah. And it was just this funny thing that as we saw, we were like, oh, they're just. They just gave up. They were like, let's not do another job. They gave scene. up, they, they, they gave up the hard, the hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, uh, to well, me, and then, and then, but to your point also, I forgot about this. Kevin, Kevin Spacey's house is lit literally like he's the devil. It's like yeah, all it's red insane. inside. It's yeah. so egregious. Anyway, anyway, now perfect segue to the, <laughs> to devil's, the, to the devil's own, own. which, which, okay. I, there's always, I've had a problem with this movie. By just the title jumping off point, amazing title, The Devil's Own. A great title, like yeah. you hear that a movie's, ca movie's called The Devil's Own. You're like, Hell yeah, I'm gonna see that movie. Not for this movie, though, yeah, like I it's agree. such no. a weird title no. for this movie. It should right. be called, like, it's like there's no, and this is what we're talking about with maybe the, the thematic auteur theory that Blake you're kind of talking about. The Devil's Own at the time. It, everybody wanted it to be the next Ishtar. It was like Brad and Harrison hate each other. They rewrote the skip 48 times. They didn't have a script on set. Brad Pitt, before they even started filming, said it was a mess and it was irresponsible the way that they were approaching the movie. Literally, to Newsweek, he said that. It's a quote. Yeah. Like Harrison Ford, you know, there was a lot of, you know, Ford Hartnett on Hollywood Homicide before that happened. It was this with Pitt and... Uh, and 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 Ford, which I think some of it was unwarranted, but even Ford himself in more recent years has admitted they didn't get along, but kind of patched it up on the set over time. Anyway, all that, all the bad press is happening. I remember when the movie was premiering, Princess Di got shit because she brought 
Harry and William to the premiere and it was rated R and it was like, oh, what's Princess Di doing? It was like, fuck <laughs> off. So all this stuff was happening. It was just not, it was like, it was a, a high profile movie that was everybody wanted to fail. And it came out and it did like, okay, it, the reviews were pretty bad. It came and went. It was kind of the end of the Harrison Ford thing, right? Sabrina had failed, you know, a couple of years earlier, even though that movie is also great. Uh, it was, uh, not all, is bet. Like, I love the Sabrina remake, but Air Force One being the big standout there in the late nineties. But it's like the beginning of the end of him as the movie star. And what's so crazy is it's like a pretty good thriller that's dealing with really complicated ideas that Pakula and Ford and Pitt fought really hard to try to keep in the movie against every single person at the studio. And like whether or not they succeeded, you can watch and be the judge, but they really tried their damnedest to keep some of that conflict in the movie. And I think it, and maybe this is just the watering down of tenpole movies as we get older and as everything gets Netflixified, but like it works pretty well, better than you would remember. Is how I would put it. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna say to everyone out there listening, I actually really fundamentally enjoy this movie. I think it gets way more crap than it deserves. I think if yeah. you gave Pitt really intended to do a do over on the accent which he does so brilliantly in Snatch. Like he's like, he, he does. Yeah, he just figures he, it he, out. He, yeah. yeah. He figures it out later. It's so also he goes not and does even it. as bad as I remember in my brain. Like re no, rewatching it last night. It's, like It's not as bad audibly, which is funny because yeah. we're like audio guys. So when you listen, he's not far off the mat, but it's a challenge that I also have. Whereas like a lot of Aussie actors, especially when they're first starting out, it's the over enunciation that changes the facial performance. So it looks like they're trying. Yeah. And so he looks like he's really trying to nail it. And I actually think in, for the most part he does, but it's just that the, this movie, and I think Pakula gets it. And I think Pitt gets it. The less he talks, the better the movie is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like literally yeah. the more that he's just bouncing off of people who are coming at him, whether it's, I mean, and again, I love a movie and there was a whole thread of them. Some of them just were like crappy thrillers. You know, we had the Jackal, you got blown away, but it's like the IRA and white terrorists blowing shit up. I mean, that was all the slate was wiped clean. White people never were terrorists again until the Joker. Um, uh, basically, uh, like uh, as soon as 9-11 came around, because we were all sort of indoctrinated in the, and, and the world was indoctrinated with this whole thing that it's like, oh, this well, dude, Middle Eastern terrorist. Patriot, pa game, Patriot, Patriot Games, games. a few years before, yeah. right? Yeah. Patriot, Patriot Games. So it's it's in the lexicon. It's there. And I love that this movie tackles it. I love I love. Ford's character as this insanely honorable cop. Yeah, There's the only that he, made me. <laughs> sorry, keep going. The only honorable cop. The I love him as that. Like, there's a guy that they catch a, a, a like a black man running through New York City. Yeah, and they 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 arrest him. Ford and his partner grab him um, uh, with with these two other guys after they've caught him. And they're like, what were you running for? He goes, oh, I, like I saw a cop with a gun and I ran. Like I took a, like a pamphlet. And Ho Ford lets him go. He's like, man. Next time the cop tells you to stop, yeah. don't run. It's like, literally you're gonna get shot. The motto yeah. of this performance is literally like a cab except Harrison Ford. Like he's like yeah, he's except, like the model of like what you in your heart would want a cop to be. <laughs> like exactly, yeah. exactly. And any kind of moral compromise, he realizes that that's not good for his job. So I really like him as a as a very 
actually kind of believable and authentic moral compass for the movie. And I love that he is, he has a quandary about everything that's going on because of all, all the complexity. But like, I, I, I've watched it twice. Like since <laughs> we talked about it, like I've watched it twice. I was like, this yeah. movie is not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. So, and I love what you said. It is more complex. It has more political, like, um, you know, uh, you know, political engagement and is, is straight faced about the content that it's covering. And, um, it's really, unfortunately is like Bakula saw something in what Brad Pitt was working on in, in, on the inside, on the interior. That is the reason for casting him. And it's just, he just couldn't yeah, come up I mean, to that straight level to get the, the to get the accent it's, it, down. It's important to remember too, in the context of the time, Pitt had become a punchline because Micho Black got shit on for similar reasons in terms of the Pitt element. Uh, seven years in Tibet, uh, he's doing a really complicated accent that doesn't quite work. I'm actually a pretty big fan of both of those movies, especially Micho Black. I love Micho Black, but but like Micho Black, I think is actually the next year. But it's all within the same couple of years where it's like. Oh, is Brad Pitt a movie star? And people are kind of itching to say, no, I don't think so. Right. And I think that's what you're running into uh, among, you know, Gwyneth and Brad Pitt. Also, all these things are happening in terms of the cultural uh, element that that makes it harder. But then, like, also, the other thing that is undercovered because the movie wasn't well covered, well received, Gordon Willis returns right for the last for this last movie yeah and it's one of the most beautiful movies of the 90s it's so good looking <laughs> it's, it's yeah, like it's stunningly so good. like pelican brief is pretty good looking stephen goldback shot it it's fine there's some interesting ideas i don't know that but it works we, quite the same way but can you imagine if gordy shot the well that's pelican what i brief. that's what i mean that's what I'm, yeah <laughs> well exactly. and, and exactly. it's and yeah. it's it would be it would look God. i mean it, devil's own is it's, like it's the kind of, yeah. of movie that you wouldn't necessarily especially by this point in the 90s wouldn't necessarily expect that from and so that mm. almost makes this it's like very unassuming beautiful cinematography for for my money um yeah if you listen well, those, those, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, if you haven't, if you don't know about this movie, we, I think we kind of skipped the plot, but the quick version of it is um, Brad Pitt is a member of the IRA who's fleeing from Ireland to go to America with the help of a judge in New York, sort of under the radar, basically. And he assumes an identity and winds up staying with Harrison Ford and his family. And Harrison Ford obviously does not know that he's essentially a wanted. IRA terrorist, right? And so that's kind of the crux of it. And then amidst all of this, there's also, you know, we get a little bit of Treat Williams for our money, which is dope. I love love, love, love seeing more like Snack Williams. Am I right? Um, <laughs> but um, but no, it's like, it's great to see him. You get, oh yeah, Ruben, Ruben Bly yeah, which, plays Harrison Ford's partner. Great performance. Ruben, and it's Natasha McElone. Yeah. Ru- yeah. You got well, Natasha so this, McElone we, as... And we, <laughs> I think we've covered. I think All this. Her me- I think. I think with covering Devil's Own, I believe we have covered the movie star run of Natasha McElhone because yeah. we we talked about Soderbergh's Solaris masterpiece. We yeah. talked about Laurel Canyon, very good movie. Yeah. We talked about this now. Ronan? We haven't talked about Ronan, but I don't think that's a B side. And so we, have, when we haven't that's talked about B-side. Truman Show either, which would be the other. Which one. not a B, not a yeah, B side. Not a but, B-side. but so we've talked no. about her B side. And Natasha McElhone never really became the movie star. Great in Californication, obviously had a great career. Has has a great career, but like, 
really nice in this movie. She was always playing this exact character for a while, just like the Irish yeah. put upon yeah. agent. Nailed it. Woman. But but yeah. very I, very good, I think. And and um and I do think I mean the Ruben Blades character. Really is good. kind of weirdly one of the most interesting parts of the movie, honestly, because it raises some of the the moral quandaries that Blake was talking about. Funny uh, enough, they do this exact subplot two years later in Random Hearts, and it works yeah. a little not a little less well, which I thought was interesting. The the like cop corruption, yeah, as as the B plot thing is better here than well, it is and there. And the yeah. one thing, so in interviews, Brad Pitt had said with this movie, one of the things that disappointed him in them throwing out the script, as it were, is that Brad Pitt was wet, which is, I. it's funny because it's like, I'm curious to know if The Devil's Own was just one of those like banked studio titles and they were like, cool, we're calling this movie The Devil's Own. Done, right? Or if it actually was called that from the script stage because... In the script, there are like scenes in Ireland of like Brad Pitt, not just like shooting at guys who are shooting at him kind of thing. It's like he's like killing people, right? Like he's like oh, no. shooting and, and up that, houses full the... of people. And and that's the part that this movie got a lot of shit for when it came out because it did for a lot of people's money. It felt like it was addressing a complicated situation without actually talking about concretely what the complicated situation is which is i think a totally fair criticism of this movie i do think um i do think at the end of the day it still structurally is a good thriller so it i think it works with like two pretty good movie star performances so i think it works on those merits i think you're spot on connor because it's definitely nothing that we say here is without the criticism of like it, it, things working or not not being not gelling right to to really take this movie into that like it's actually a, like a stone cold great movie but i but i one of the things that it's like it's totally a choice it's like if you were going to the hollywood studio and you're like oh how do we show that this guy turned bad well one of the classic ways like just really archetypally show the guy as a little boy and his father being brutally murdered right in his face and i'm like yes absolutely you could it could have shown stuff but i feel like the inferences later do enough for me to do that um i i, I kind of came at it at a vacuum because i never saw this mm. so when you guys were like let's do this i was like okay cool like i i was i was i was very new to it like i'm it's hard to say you never know with like things like the devil's own it had harrison ford in it so i was probably playing in my house and i just had no registration of right. like that's what the movie was or had any care but i i came to it pretty fresh this time around and i was like Man, Alan Pakula knew how to make movies, man. He knew how to make things look good. He knew how to make moral quandaries. He knew how to choose actors that could really give interior performances. Yeah. And it's just, you know, sometimes yeah. there's a an accent choice that just that, murders well, you. And, I, and it's like, that's... Well, I, and for me, when I, I... I had always thought I didn't like this movie. And then a couple of years ago, I rewatched it. And the ending on the boat, though it's not perfect, that's that... For me, when I rewatched it, that was when I was like, well, you're saying, Blake, Pakula just knew how to make movies because it gets to the end and it's on the boat where basically the whole part of it is he's hiding out in America, Brad Pitt is, but the plan is to bring Missiles. A, a shitload of weapons back yeah. by ship yeah. to Ireland that in he's secret, of course. From Treat Williams. Treat Williams. Yeah. And obviously there's duplicitous intentions that come out. 
But the bow well, Treat well is, is actually looking for a series of skulls, I think. Um, yeah, Drax, Xander yeah, yeah. Drax. <laughs> there, is, there is opportunity in chaos. chaos. Um, so, um, but yeah, wow, Tree was really just, Tree was chewing scenery as the mid-90s. Huh? But so, so basically, um, what I love about, it's a very classic Hollywood ending where it ends on the boat, which is his means of, which is his means of escape. And by the time you get to the boat, he knows he's not going to escape. And it's very tragic, very old Hollywood. And the sun is setting and Gordon Willis is using the right lens every single time. And um, I just want to say this one thing. We're talking about Bakula. And I don't want to shit on Thunder Force too much, Okay. <laughs> But Thunder Force is a new movie currently available on Netflix, directed by Ben Falcone, starring Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. All lovely people, okay? I have nothing against these people, but me and my wife were watching this movie. It is not a strong picture, okay? And I turned to Kelly, and I said to her, you know what's crazy about this movie, Thunder Force? Sometimes when you watch a good movie, you say to the, the person you're watching, like I would say to you, Blake, or you, Connor, if I'm sitting next to you watching a movie, I'd say, wow, they just, this director just knows where to put the camera, okay? Yeah. You can't really explain it, but it's just, you know what you know, you know what you mean when you're watching the movie. And Thunder Force, I realized one of my problems with Ben Falcone is he does not know where to put the camera. And that doesn't mean he's not talented. doesn't mean he's not a good writer. He's obviously a very t funny guy. He's in the movies a lot of the time. But as a filmmaker, there are just shots where you go, why did you use that lens? Why did you, why did you put the camera? Why did you choose to do this two-shot from the waist up? That's unflattering, that doesn't give us any new information. You cut to a, you know, you made a cut that doesn't, you know, to reveal anything. You know, every time you make a cut in a movie, this is what you learn there should be new information right like th there should not be cuts that don't mean anything and the thing is even if it's a devil's own even if it's connecting adults which you know is not a, a good movie by any means he's putting the camera in the right spots that's what i'm saying it's like he's, yeah. he's using magic hour in the right moments like that is important you know what I mean? And I think the, the reason you a movie like The Devil's Own for all of its flaws will age well and has aged pretty well. Pelican Brief even more so, which yeah. was like, you know, at the time, Pelican Brief was regarded as like fluff, like we talked about. The camera's in the right spot. Like they're choosing the right takes. That's not nothing. That's like really important shit that gets glossed over a lot of times. Well, it's, and I think Pakula is a great example. It's you know? just solid yeah. work. And like, yeah, yeah. I think... When you don't have those people behind the camera, it gets taken for granted. And and it's it, I mean, to even go back to my movie star comment, like also when you don't have those people in front of the camera, even if they're perfectly fine actors or whatever, sometimes you just need that thing. Right. And I think I, I think generally speaking, as it pertains to the devil's own, it really I think I think devil's own is a perfect example of everything you're talking about, Dan, and everything in terms of like show me the value of a movie star to a movie right mm -hmm. because you could have this same exact movie with two different performances from two different performers and it's not as good like it's just not no. right and it's the, i mean in no way shape or form could you in my mind i, I don't know who the answer is to replace brad pitt in this movie and deliver right the if, you're, if you're talking about the time 
right? If you're talking you're about, talking about the time, place and time. And I can't, um, I other can't maybe imagine. Than, uh, frankly, Har- other than maybe a genuine Irish actor or something. Well, like yeah. Sean, Sean yeah. Bean, but he doesn't have the, the stardom, yeah. you know? It's yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, if you can, please pronounce Sean Bean's name with the correct uh, pronunciation. Sian Bean um, <laughs> is, uh, is how we, is, is how we say it. No, but uh, yeah, get a Sean Bean. Um, but I don't know if Sean Bean has uh, at that time, because Sean Bean has always played as a kind of like a heel yeah, and yeah, that's yeah, some yeah. of his best roles. Um, I love the stoicism and the power of Harrison Ford's performance in this movie. Yeah. I just love it. I, and and exactly like you said, movie star stuff, when he investigates and finds where Rory has been hiding some money in, in his house, it just works. When he has that great um, face-off with Ruben in the street about... Mm. And it's all you his face. It's away. all, it's, it's all, it, I mean, it's the mate, same that's... stuff that works like gangbusters and presumed innocent. Like I, where yeah. I, and we probably maybe said this on our Harrison Ford episode, but like I said this to my wife last night, both with presumed innocent. And I thought about it again while I was watching this. I was just like, nobody boils like Harrison Ford boils. Yeah. Like yeah. where it's just, you see it, like, it's just. It, the the wheels are all turning all the time, even if it's just he's got the same grumpy expression on you. Like, no, there's like something else happening. And it it's not to say that there's no one else that could have done it. It's just point being the, the, the list is limited, right, in terms of who you can actually turn to to just be on screen and not do anything else and somehow get something out of it. And And Blake, you said this earlier, but you're totally right. And I didn't even think about this until you said it. The last 20 years of Brad Pitt makes this better because you see mm. the beginning of it, right? Yeah, you're sure. totally right. Yeah. Like Snatch, three years later, you're like, oh, yeah, you got it. Yeah, he just didn't, got it. He didn't stick the landing. You just, like, that was the you thing. Just, you, yeah. ju- you just weren't confident. And yeah. the great thing about Mickey is he's, he's mumbling. It doesn't yeah. matter. So yeah. it just lets him, it doesn't matter what he says. And even, as a, it's, it's and, he, and even the movie star performance, one of my favorite movies ever, Spy Game in 01, where he's uh, up against Redford. Holy insanely wow. underrated movie. That's an incredible wow. movie star performance yeah. where everything he maybe learned on Devil's Own and maybe felt he didn't knock out of the park, he's so perfectly, I mean, Spy Game, it, I... Nobody hey, loves Spider Man. Hey, I love that. Tony Scott. Tony Scott. I'm a huge Tony Scott. I'm I'm a huge Tony Scott guy. Yeah, um, yeah. Tony Tony Scott knows how to make people movie stars. Like he knows how to make and elevate central yeah. actors. And 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 I think that Brad. I think that's a confluence of the chemistry of Redford and and Pitt and and Tony Scott going. I know how to make you look like such a rollicking badass in this movie. Like, and yeah, it's just, yeah. it, it is, it is the answer to devil. I mentioned this. I yeah, I've never this. thought it's true. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I, well, yeah. no, no, no. I just, I mentioned that when we were preparing for our Darius Wolski interview, I was watching a couple of Tony Scott movies and Ridley Scott, cause he worked with both of them, which is kind of fascinating. But, um, and I had mentioned this to Dan off mic while we were preparing, but that like, I, it kind of the exact same thing that like, Ridley Scott, an amazing director, direct directs actors very well and whatnot. But like nobody directs movie stars the way Tony Scott directed movie stars. And it's like, no. and when you watch Tony Scott, Michael Bay has been trying his whole career. Yeah, I would, to I would even say, get close. yeah, I would say, and the closest he comes is like maybe The Rock. Well, right? dude, it's my like the best, is like my, the best he does. Yeah, my le- yeah. my letterbox review of Six Underground literally says. Every generation gets the Tony Scott it deserves. That's, <laughs> when, 
<laughs> when you watch Six Underground or whatever it's called, that's the whole time all I could think about yeah. was like, this is like not Tony Scott. Do you Tony know Scott? It makes you, me a pain and gain. You're getting but, there. Yeah, but, sure, but, sure. but but I I have to say say it. I'm so I when a pigeon hits a woman in the face in slow motion at the beginning of that movie. Six I just turned to in Six Underground. I turned to Garth Franklin, my dear <laughs> friend who was sitting next to me in the screening, and I'm like, I fucking love this movie. It's <laughs> no, about no. three minutes into this movie. I'm like, get I'm, I'm not, sorry. Yeah. I'm like I know that this is gonna be the right amount of excess. And and speaking of the only person that you see actually get Netflix's money from the check to the screen. Michael Bay, like it no, is all that's on fair. the screen. That's you, you are, you are a hundred percent right, and I, I'm not even a hater of Six Underground, to be honest. But I think, like, I, my, I kind of am a little. The, bit the difference okay. is, I, this is, I think, the difference. When, when Spy Game came came out, uh, Roger Ebert didn't like like it very much, and one of his criticisms was the scene, like he said, like. There's a cut every three seconds, and there's a scene where they're on top of a roof, and, and it's all helicopter shots, and it just cuts every two seconds. And my thing with Spy Game is, that's the reason that movie's great. Yeah, it literally please. feels like Tony Scott made it bet with like somebody was like, "Let me take the most down the middle script that's ever been written." This and, could be a this could and, be a play at a table. Yeah, yeah and just exactly. and cast and just cast the two most beautiful movie stars alive who literally one represents another in different generations literally put them in put them in and just mm -hmm. do my thing and it'll be a great movie and he did that yeah. and it's like and i just don't think right i just don't think bay has quite gotten there but i do think no. they're they're i mean they're, you they're you know there are moments um I, I know this is like a roundabout way and this is this is all to say this is all to say that um alan pakula is a special filmmaker and especially <laughs> intuitive filmmaker. But but this is the comparison I'll make. Um, Mark Pellington made The Mothman Prophecies and also yep. made Arlington Road. I very recently caught Mothman Pro Prophecies for the first time. And Mark Pellington, if you don't know, was a promo video director for MTV in the 90s where he did experimental stuff overexposing the lenses, like doing crazy little promos. Yeah, with pr like film pretty clips, amazing music video director, yeah. Phenomenal music video director, but his start was there. And you look at the Mothman prophecies as a template for how to direct a movie, um, especially a movie that like wants to be supernatural, but also is like absolutely railing against the supernatural elements. The level of intuition that he has in pushing the envelope, audio, like sensory things like audio changes, cuts, weird, um, weird like flashes of things uh, over like hyper speeding up of the films. You know, you see that later with Tony Scott. Tony Scott can do that stuff intuitively. And I think of like with Man on Fire, the different film stocks and things like that. The things that he does in that movie, it cannot be replicated because you, you're not him. Like he's seeing the world in this different frequency and i feel like that talent that like pure power like where tony scott can do it in a more vibrant like intuitive rapid fire impressionistic way alan pakula can sit a camera yeah and make a choice on a two shot or how to hold a shot from someone going from one room to another how to how to exactly watch the pot boiling, the internal pot boiling on a character. He knows how to do that stuff so intuitively that every one of his movies make deep emotional sense. Even if sometimes 
they are batshit, like consenting adults, um, or they don't necessarily work. But there, are, there is something to be said of like, what is a director? What is a true director? Is it this guy? Is it this guy? Oh, we relinquish this to the second unit. In these small movies and legal thrillers, it is a director working with actors, making choices about where yep. to put the camera. And and Pakula just, he just is, I mean, he's one of my favorite directors of all time. And yep. I, I, even his lesser, it's just, it, you can't put a price on what that guy knows about how to stage a camera and how to get a performance and how to convey a message. Uh, you just, it's just, it's so hard to do. And he's just so damn. It's so much, it. it's so much harder than it looks like, Oh, yeah. oh and my his, God. And his implicit, I mean, he speaks about this in interviews, his, the implicit trust he has for his, um, his leads, like his, his, oh. his lead actors and his lead craftsmen, right? Like mm. he's very open about that. The collaborative process, which not every filmmaker is is open about that a filmmaker who is uh who's still making movies and is master in his own right peter jackson is very open about that as well like that's also a gift like it's a it's a it's a team effort all that stuff and pakula really you're, you're totally right nobody nobody can film a scene of dialogue you know the way that he, you know he can and i think that's i mean it's just well said and i think you know the devil's own sad that it's his last movie obviously we don't need to dwell on his kind of very tragic death but he he dies not too long after on the lie the long island expressway in a very tragic sudden way he's yeah, 70 it's insane you know like right. on your podcast uh blake jane alexander talks about like she was hopefully gonna make the eleanor roosevelt movie with him that was maybe he was happen. going away so to sad. write the eleanor roosevelt movie so sad for jane alexander and it's just like these, you know, sad things that you can't, I mean, like you can't predict it and, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic in every way. But look, I like that because of people like us and way smarter people than us, there is discussion <laughs> about him as a master in his own right and, and the Sidney Pollocks and the Tony Scotts, you know, and all these kind of other directors. And I hope that continues. And I think, you know, he's somebody... I would recommend any movie, you know, even consenting adults just for the ridiculousness. In like, context, though, you got to put that movie like only for context. Watch it, <laughs> watch it, in, watch it in the nineties context. But I think if you, yeah. if you, if you just went through his seventies, what a rewarded yeah. person you would sure. feel like at the end of <laughs> sure. it. Like you just go, wow. Yeah. Like some of these are so unfathomably brilliant. I don't even know what to do with them. My brain can't process how good they are. And others, you're like, man, even though that wasn't a complete like knockout had so much good stuff in it yeah. like the camera was the camera was right the movie looks sharp all the actors know exactly what they're doing particularly powerhouse women performers like just knocking it out of the park in all of his movies and it's just like yeah i i i think he's such a rich director and i think the ubiquity of this um i mean what do you call it except just fucking boring aesthetic of the Marvel cinematic universe and the Netflixification of everything. It's just like, when you see these movies, they shake you up. Cause you're like, things look good again. Like what yeah. happened? Yeah. What happened to the world? It doesn't look nearly as good. It's true. Um, it's so weird. It really is like, and we talked with Walski about it and he had a, he's such a positive guy, which is one yeah, of the he greatest was very, parts. He was about very diplomatic interview. about it. He's like, no, but not even, it's I mean, great. diplomatic is one way, way to say it, but like truly hopeful, like where he was like, Look, it's not, he basically was like, it's not about the toolbox, it's the people using the tools. And I do want to agree with him 
And as long as we get news of the worlds, right, I will maybe believe in it. But I think Bakula does right now feel like uh, a memory of what once was and hopefully what can be again. I think, you know, um, yeah, that's that's all I have to say about Bakula. He's a master. I'm happy we're able to talk about him. Um, any final words, Blake or Connor, about about the the man, the myth? You got Connor. No, I just, <laughs> I, I, Blake, thanks for coming on. Cause I think this obviously given your in-depth, uh, tackling seriously, of his seriously. career, I think, um, I, I'm glad we were able to do this. Cause I do think he's the kind of filmmaker Dan and I love. I will say just even generally, even with the consenting adults of it all, even this collection of three movies, it's kind of why I love doing this podcast because I think you just get a good sense of like, Hey, here's an early, very good one. Here's the last one that maybe still holds up the legacy a little bit in some ways. And then there are just always going to be ones in there that are just big swings and misses, you know, and I, I that's that's, I think, the kind of bodies of work that I like covering here. But um, it's worth seeking it all out, frankly. Um, he was uh, what I think one of the best to ever do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my only final word is for so long, people talk about Francis Ford Coppola as you know giving to cinema like four of maybe the greatest american films of all time between 1970 and 79 which he makes you know godfather part one and two the conversation and apocalypse now and i just think the story of the 70s um for so long has included three films being clute parallax and all the president's men and for the longest time they kind of existed in this like weird vacuum like they weren't there wasn't an auteur behind them and i think what's really cool is like even outside of those three like his his contribution to cinema is just i mean if you have if you have made even those three um you're a master (laughs) the mastery is so loud that it like almost hurts your ears you're like how did anyone get that good how and uh and so i relish the chance of talking to you lads a i love talking to you too um because it always goes off the rails which i thoroughly enjoy so thank you um two is um i love podcasts like this because also i think it helps for the context right because i think auteur theory those you know those raging bulls um and easy riders of it all um i I think they got the best publicists and so some of my favorite directors are some of those that are that sneak through the cracks and you know michael mann a lot of people talk about michael mann now but Michael Mann for the longest time was a guy who started when all these guys started and just didn't work in the same realm, worked in TV, worked in other places. And so now it's good to see him getting his due and nothing makes me happier than seeing Pakula get his due as well. Because I mean, we get to revisit these, these other really great, well-crafted, beautiful, non-fluffy things. And um, the John Grissom cinematic universe can still exist is all I'm saying. Yeah. So let's just go. Let's That's go. A, like, yeah. come on. Let's That's go. That's a future, some- <laughs> future side prog- podcast. Yeah. The Grissom. No, no. The Grissom no more. I can't have we'll any do more podcasts. We'll do it. Blake, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. Come you, on. You, come you on need, you need to, you, you, I will come anytime to hang out. But I think, you know, you guys put me under one thing. If you guys ever want to do it, and I don't know, maybe you, you, you maybe only want to do one a year, but I really think that the B-sides needs to come and relitigate some of these Oscars. Um, and I really think that there needs to be a B-side Oscars um, that basically, you know, gives, maybe you go back, you know, ten, you, every 10 years. Have you listened just, to our most recent episode? No, I haven't. Oh, so yeah, so we literally... 
Oh, you yeah, did. Our it. most recent well, well, is sort of. Yeah, we 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 dipped our toe. We talked to Chris yeah. File of this oh. at Oscar Buzz, uh, who's our good buddy, <laughs> and we 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 it literally came out as a recording yesterday and oh. right, or last week last week rather and um and, i haven't heard that one yet. or yesterday no, no yesterday, yesterday, right? yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah, yeah 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 and and so, so basically we we dip our toe in it where we talk about oscar nominated b-sides where it's like we talk about the madness of king george uh yes. we talk about bound for glory the hell ashby movie about woody guthrie starring david carradine chariots of fire feels like a b-side even though one best picture because nobody oh. remembers it and um what was the last one? Oh, ironweed starring jack nicholson and meryl, meryl streep yeah but but what you're talking about is is almost like adjacent to that which is like Go I, back I, to the Oscars and, and talk. I about, think yeah. I think one maybe once a year around Oscar time. I think you guys need to pick a year because for me, there are be there are whole B side alternate universes that happen if the Oscars picked correctly. Sure, because, right, right. Because right, I think because right. I think like to your point, the Chariots of Fire is now the B side, whereas right. you know, yeah, exactly. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Like there's exactly something right. else that's not. So yeah, look, I'm looking forward to your uh, expanding podcast uh, universe. Uh, I have enough. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm, the, we're closed well, right you, now. You are, um, you have led the way, and we are just following. Oh, uh, look, well, look, I appreciate that so much. <laughs> thank thank you so much for joining us, Blake. And before we depart, just uh, tell people where can we find you. Yes. The best place to find me um, is on Twitter at One Blake Minute. But everything that we do on One Heat Minute Productions with myself, Katie Walsh, um, upcoming work with Travis Woods, uh, uh, everything that we're doing um, is at OneHeatMinute.com. So if you guys go there, you can find out about all of our shows, One Heat Minute, Last 12 Minutes of the Mohicans, Increment Vice, All the President's Minutes, a little uh, bonus series, Josie and the Podcasts, and now Zodiac Chronicle, and the ongoing uh, dip back into the uh, the delicious uh, Miami waters that is Miami Nice with Katie Walsh and I as well. So uh, <laughs> the best, that's, the uh, best. that's that's uh, that's what I'm doing. That's where I am. Yeah, and then just a reminder for me, you can obviously read the film stage as always, and um, yeah, definitely listen to Zodiac Chronicle and everything else, like Blake just said. Fathom Stories, which is my story podcast, which Blake, you were kind enough to give me some advice and listen to some stuff early on. You were super helpful actually with that. And um, we're trying some new stuff. Um, the ASMR styled, really Ooh. weird uh, disposal of a body, discovery of a body. I think I'm going to keep writing. Actually, I've been thinking about writing even additional ones. So check those out. We got into the on air fest, which was cool a couple of weeks awesome. ago, if you're listening now. So it's been good. Things have been good with that. Keep up with that at Fathom Stories. If you're interested in that Twilight Zone, little stories and I'll pass it to Connor for the finish, as always. Yeah, uh, you can find. So as you are listening, uh, you can watch a replay of our uh, cinephile game night with Entertainment Weekly. Um, Ooh. yeah, which, uh, yeah, which, uh, I'm sure it will be a lot of fun slash was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, it hasn't technically happened yet, but as you, as, once, once this releases, it will have happened. So you can go back and check that out. Uh, and, uh, what else? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at scruffy looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B side. You can also find us, uh, if you want to just shoot us any questions, recommendations about episodes, things you liked, things you didn't like, uh, always feel free, obviously, to rate, review, and subscribe. But you can also shoot us an email at uh, b-side at thefilmstage.com. And uh, yeah, I mean, like we're talking about it, uh, our our uh, our the state of big movies uh, and adult entertainment is is madness right now. But hopefully. 
even though things are kind of heated, hopefully Pakula heads will prevail. <laughs> I should fucking I should go to jail for that one. That was <laughs> that was really good. That, that was, was really good. good. Well done, Connor. <laughs>